millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 27, the 830s BC. Last time on the Fan of History, Shalmaneser III of Assyria stood on Mount Amanus. From there, he could see the the Sicilian plain and Cilicians. Excuse me, not Sicilian. We're not in Sicily yet. And contemplated invading what is today Turkey. Jehu, the first Jewish king of Israel, took power in Israel and killed everyone he did not like. So, Dan, where are we going to go today? We are going to go through the whole 830s BC. It's uh, pretty dominated by the Assyrian Empire. It's the strongest state in the Near East, mm-hmm. ruled by Shalmaneser III, who has already been around since 859 BC. And he has extended the extensive conquests of his dad, Ashurnasirpal II. Mm-hmm. There were alliances that were trying to stop Shalmaneser III, but they are all gone now. Uh, when you look at the Assyrian kings and their tales of conquest, they are very skewed towards the king. It seems like he is walking around and you don't hear about anyone else. But here I'd like to introduce a character in the Assyrian royal army. Mm-hmm. His name is Dayan Ashur. He is the Turtanu, that's the field marshal, so he's second in command of the army. He has probably been the field marshal since way back, and a possible date is 853 BC from the Battle of Kerkarden. Okay. There is a, a theory out there that this guy is actually controlling Shalmaneser III since the Battle of Kerkar, and there are even weirder theories out there. 
But I, I think he's a friend and a trusted underling of Shalmaneser III. And as we will see in this episode, the, the field marshal Diane Asher will become even more important by the end <clears throat> of this decade. Hmm. So how did they? How do we know this person exists? Like, what well, we he shows up uh, in the record a bit later, but you can deduce that he was around even at this time. But he will be talked about, and uh, that's uh, that's not common for a field marshal. Hmm. You okay. you maybe get their name, but we will get more than that from Diane Usher. Okay. So let's uh, get into this. In 839 BC, Shalmaneser III invades Q, and this is a state in northern Syria, southern Turkey. It's yeah, right in the war zone today. <laughs> yeah. And this state has opposed Shalmaneser III from the first year of his reign under the same king, King Kate. So now Shalmaneser takes the royal army across the Euphrates, probably starting from Kal Shalmaneser, the city that he took from the Bitadini. Mm -hmm. And the kings of the Kati, that's uh, northern Syria, the Neo-Hittites, they pay tribute, they provide auxiliary soldiers, they beg Shalmaneser not to beat <laughs> them up. And then he invades the poor little land of Q. There are some cities, Lusanda, Abarnani, and Kiswatni. They are plundered, and Shalmaneser erects steles in them. Uh, at the he erects this daily at the beginning and end of the country, according to his inscription. <laughs> but King Kate still remains in power in Q, somehow. And uh, we, we are not sure why. So did they actually win this war or did he submit or uh, what happened? There, there might have been an invitation from another vassal state. Uh, which we'll talk more about. Uh, there is a stele called the Kilamuva stele mm -hmm. that's, that is written by the king of Samal. This is somewhat close to Q. Okay. Uh, and he claims in an inscription that he hired the king of Assyria to protect him against the ruler of Adana. And the Assyrian sources seldom give us reasons for uh, uh, these campaigns, but it seems that the Assyrian Empire actually was obliged to protect their vassal states. So it wasn't just a one-way street. You, you, you just didn't pay money and avoided getting killed, but you actually got something for your tribute. And uh, on this tale, there is this tale then of the king getting help from Assyria. And this might have happened in the same year and might have been the reason that uh, Shalmaneser did not totally destroy Q. So basically he gets he gets a better offer? Uh, or, or he gets, an, uh, yeah, I have to do this because this is my ah, vessel. I see. <clears throat> but in the next year he goes a bit south into Damascus, the old enemy that is still uh, around. Under new leadership from Hazael then, which we talked about in the earlier episode. Mm -hmm. uh, they invade uh, Aram Damascus, uh, everybody on the way pays tribute. The Phoenician cities, which uh, are quite near, they do pay tribute to Shalmaneser III as well. But 
uh, there is no decisive result. Hazael managed to stick it out and Damascus is still around. And there is a king in Tyre, the Phoenician city of Tyre on the coast of Lebanon, who makes an arrangement with Shalmaneser III. So the, the Phoenician cities are doing what they always do. They are providing services to the empire and thus they remain uh, free and rich. And they provide stuff that Shalmaneser can't get from anywhere else. Seems like a good position to be in. Yeah, they're actually in a great position. They've been in a great position since the Bronze Age collapsed because the Phoenician cities came, are the only ones who came out uh, <laughs> in a good state <laughs> in 1200 BC. And now they are founding colonies. The Phoenicians are going to Italy and Sardinia. It's, there, there seems to be a problem with dating the Phoenician colonies because we've already talked about a colony in Spain. Mm -hmm. So why would they set up a colony in Spain before they set up colonies in Italy and Sardinia? Because the, the first thing they do, it seems, if you look at the dating, is to go all over to the other side <laughs> of the Mediterranean. But at this point, there are several colonies, uh, Sardinia, uh, yeah, a lot of places. These, these are some weird names that nobody will recognize. <laughs> they, okay. they found their colonies at strategic points uh, close to the sea, peninsulas or islands with natural harbors. They trade with the Villanovans in Italy. And okay. uh, they are also on Cyprus. Of course, that's really close to Phoenicia. They also have a colony in Utica in Africa. And this is uh, rather close to where the city of Carthage will appear in, I think, three episodes. Um, but it's, it's super uncertain. And the Phoenician colonies, they don't leave as good traces as the Greek colonies do. But we will see when the Greeks start colonizing the Mediterranean for real, then uh, the Phoenicians are already there. But they seem to be 100% about finance and earning money and commerce and trade because they are they are not conquering anywhere they are just establishing trading posts getting stuff selling stuff doing business well m money is what has made has, has inspired what almost all conquest yeah but this is uh, this is far far more commercial than that so we shall see when we get to Carthage, it's, uh, and when Carthage enters history, really, that's not until the uh, 5th or the 6th century BC, mm -hmm. but then it is really a corporation. It's run like a, a corporation. Wow. It's uh, very unlike anything else. So the Phoenicians are very fixated with money hmm. and profit. You know who isn't? Shalmaneser. Yeah, actually, the Assyrians <laughs> are like the, the second most uh, commercial people. Oh, the, okay. They are really interested in trade. They used to have a trade empire back in the 1800 BC or something. Okay. But uh, there are some people who are only interested in uh, being conservatives. And those are the Egyptians. Oh, yes. Yes. Everything <laughs> must remain exactly the same. Yes, they don't want change. Yes, and in fact, they will not acknowledge change when it comes. They will just keep going. Wow. And in Poor eight, Egypt. 
<laughs> yes, uh, it's not it's not poor yet, but it will be. <laughs> in 837 BC, Osterkon II, the great pharaoh, he dies. He rules from the north as the ruler of the 22nd dynasty, and at his death, he has lost control of uh, southern Egypt. He has ruled from 872 to 837 BC, so he has been the pharaoh for 35 years. His grandson, Takalot II F, <laughs> is the high priest of Amun in Thebes, and he seems to be ruling the southern part of Egypt without listening to his granddad. Uh, still, Osokon II was one of the stronger rulers of the 22nd dynasty. And they found his tomb. Pierre Monet found his tomb in uh, February 27th in 1939. This tomb was plundered but it still held riches enough to revise uh, Egyptology because we thought that the 21st and the 22nd dynasties were really poor. Okay. And this was anything but poor. He was super rich. And for the unplundered uh, tombs of this uh, dynasty and the 21st, they are actually much richer than Tutankhamun's tomb. And Tutankhamun ruled during the New Kingdom. So... Egypt is still wealthy. And of course, Egyptian dates are horrible. We talked about that before. They can easily be off by 20 years. Right. Uh, so much more uncertain than the Assyrian dates. So we need a new pharaoh. And Shoshenk III steps up to the job. And then you think it's, he's related in some way to Osirkon II, but we don't know in what way. And the Egyptian kingship goes through uh, the females, goes through uh, the daughters. So the guy who marries the daughter of the pharaoh becomes the pharaoh. Oh, uh, but also, you. this is the son. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why we uh, normally think that, oh, his son took over. That's natural. But it's only because the son marries the daughter. Oh, okay. So it is the guy who marries the eldest daughter that becomes the new pharaoh. And Shoshenk III marries Shesbast Peru, also Kon II's daughter. And Shoshenk III will be around in the north. He will not unify Egypt. We know very little about him. And uh, yeah, we'll talk about uh, Takalot II. That was the guy in the south, his son we will talk about, but it's extremely confusing. So I, I messed it up several times on YouTube when I talked about the, uh, him. <laughs> and I hope I can get it right here, but uh, it's really hard because there are two guys named Osokon, and one is the third and one has a letter, and they seem to be the same person. Or not, <laughs> but we'll get back to that. <laughs> okay. Egypt will descend into madness now for us because it's really hard to tell what's happening there. And it will be going on for over 100 years. <laughs> oh boy. We're still in 837 BC. And now Shalmaneser III goes into Anatolia against the kingdom of Tabal. And no Assyrian king has gone this far into what is today Turkey. Uh, when I started looking at the Assyrian kings, uh, Shalmaneser III struck me as a lesser version of his father. But he is actually doing stuff that no one has done before him. And he's just such a busybody. He's, he's involved in all these wars. It's a war, war, war all the time. 
And I think he has more wars per year than his father has. So once again, they march through the land of the poor Kati. And they pay tribute. They pass through Melid. They go across Mount Timur. Antitaurus. They are on the Anatolian plateau. And there's a king in Tabal called Tuatte. He has a son called Kiki. <laughs> and there are 20 kings of Tabal that apparently uh, listen to this king Tuatte. But they are all... Uh, they all see the reality of the situation. Shalmanis III is there with the Royal Assyrian army. Right. And they just have to submit. It's not... It's out of their league. If he wants to come here, okay. <laughs> Time to submit. Yeah. And uh, Shalmanis III marches around on the Anatolian plateau and everybody just bows down and submits. And uh, thus he is done early for the year, but he's close to Q. He's actually north of Q now. And it's been then two years since he fought Q last time. So he invades Q from the north. Surprise! <laughs> and uh, still, the king of Q holds out. So next year he marches to Q immediately and has another war with the king of Q. And he still doesn't win. What is this king in Q? What is, it? What is his secret? Well, he's apparently very successful then against the Assyrians, so we don't get anything about it. And um, that's the, the Assyrian way. When things don't go as they planned, they just don't talk about it. <laughs> just sweep that under the rug. Let's just forget yes. about it. But we have this little tiny kingdom which has defied Shalmanes III for 20 years and now resisted three invasions in the, <laughs> in the span of four years. So, for 835 BC, Shalmaneser decides to go east instead. Okay. We, uh, there, is, uh, there is the small kingdom of Namri. Do you remember Namri? I remember the name. Yeah, it was the, the Kassites <clears throat> that defected from Babylon. The ah, old okay. tribal rulers of Babylon. They were like, oh, we are fed up with this crap. And they formed their own little kingdom in the Sagros Mountains uh, on the border of Iran today. And this kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians, made into vassal, and they put, uh, Shalmanes III himself put King Jansu on the throne of Namri. This was in 843 BC, and now eight years later, King Jansu decides that it's a marvelous idea to stop paying the Assyrians. And this might seem crazy, but the Assyrian tribute is really heavy, and if you haven't seen any Assyrians for eight years, uh, this might seem like a good idea. You hear that, oh, Shalmanes III is busy in queue, and he's going to places where no Assyrians gone before. No way does he have the time to come and beat us up. <laughs> he does. Yeah. <laughs> so the royal army shows up there, and the, the Kassites, being proud of their... These guys ruled Babylon for 400 years or something like that. Right. And they're like, oh, we are pride, the tribes, proud tribesmen with culture. Surely we can resist the Assyrians. And there's a battle. It ends in a rout for the Kassite army. King Yansu flees to the mountains, but he's captured and taken as a prisoner to Assyria. And that's probably a word you don't want to read, or a sentence you don't want to read on the Assyrian um, inscriptions, because when people are taken to Assyria's prisoners, you never hear of them again. 
Uh, unless you are at the very end of the empire, because then they will actually mention in the 7th century what happened to the prisoners. And th those are not... Uh, uh, those words are not comforting. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a king of Elam that appears as a, an ornament in the, in the king's dining hall and stuff like that. Wow. So his, um, his head is on a pike. That's pleasant. Uh, we don't get any information what Babylon thinks about this war. To get to Namri, the Assyrians pretty much has to go through Babylonian territory or take the much uh, harder route through the mountains. But uh, we, we get no news from Babylon about this. In Babylon, Marduk Sakirshumi I is the king and he is the friend of Shalmaneser III. Shalmaneser III put him on the throne. Right. Uh, he is busy having problems with the Chaldeans in the sea land in the south. They are acting independently in the marshland. And the people of the, the swamps in the south, they control the trade with Elam in southern Iran. So they are getting more powerful and more wealthy. Uh, Marduk Sakishumi I presents a seal to the statue of Marduk in Babylon. And this statue of Marduk will come back to our story all the time because Marduk is the most important god in Babylonia. Mm -hmm. and this statue in the temple is thought of like, uh, like it is the god. So if you want to go talk to Marduk, you can talk to this statue. If somebody steals this statue, it's really bad. <laughs> but it's not like that is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Foreshadowing. Uh, <laughs> we have some some news from Babylonia here. Uh, there is an inscription where Marduk Sakashumi gives a great house to a scribe. There is a situation where he can't go to Borsippa because of disturbances. And this is pretty discouraging because Borsippa is not far away from Babylon. And he has the religious duty to go there because Borsippa is the city of truth and justice. And very important in the Babylonian thinking. But the king can't go to this nearby city for 17 years. Why? <laughs> because of the Arameans. Oh, wow. Remember the Arameans, they are around still. And they are in the countryside. And they are causing problems for everyone. Oh, Arameans. We also see local officials start doing inscriptions during this time. And they seem to become a lot powerful. They seem to be in positions much longer. And it seems that the power of the Babylonian king is, uh, yeah, it's, he's losing. The central power is weakening and the local power is growing stronger. But Marduk Sakashumi will be around until 819 BC. Seems that's like an incredibly yes. long time. Yeah, that's a long time. But it's, it's 16 years from where we are now, and by that time, uh, the whole Assyrian-Babylonian axis will look much different than it does in 835 BC. We have other neighbors of the Assyrians who are kind of relieved that the Assyrians aren't around in their part of the world. And in 834 BC, we have a new king in Urartu, to the north, in the mountains of Armenia, Sarduri I becomes the king and he moves the capital to Tushpa. It's around Lake Van, the Nairi Sea. It's in Turkey today. This is the borderland between Turkey and Armenia today. 
high mountains rich on all kinds of natural resources. And uh, the Russians do what they always do, they build giant fortresses because the Assyrians might come <laughs> any day. And there's an enormous fortress built around this time by this Sarduri, the first character. And then they are starting to... Uh, okay, we can't go south because there are Assyrians to the south, so let's expand in every other direction. So Urartian influence is creeping out of the mountains, and a lot of smaller kingdoms are have a relationship to Urartu, like the Assyrian vessels. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. But this, the mountain kingdoms seems to be innumerable and sort of have new names every time we hear about them. So they, they are super hard to keep track about, of. But the big thing is that the Urartian influence is spreading. And it's actually spreading in a great arc over Assyria. So suddenly Urartu will be able to influence events in, in Turkey or in, on the Anatolian plateau and in Syria. And they will also be able to influence events in the east. So it's uh, it's becoming a threat to Assyria, whereas it earlier had, has been only a place to go and beat people up. And Urartu is getting stronger. But Shalmanis III doesn't have the time to deal with this because he must conquer Q. Because he can't stand this King Carter guy who has defied him for so long. <laughs> he just can't let it go. No, so he marches out again goes through this territory of the kings of Kati and they're getting really sick of this because Shalmanis III always comes around, he takes their food, he takes their money, he forces them to go with him <laughs> and they can't do anything about it because if they do, they become the target. Wow. And this time Shalmanis III managed to get to the capital of Q besiege it and sack it. So Timur, the capital of Q, falls in 834 BC. And uh, on his way back, Shalmanis III puts a royal garrison in the city of Muru. 
It's a city of the bit Agusi. And this attack severely weakens Q, but King Kat is still around, ruling from a new capital. Wow. So it's a Q is still defying Assyrian will. <laughs> Time to go to Israel then, perhaps. Sure. Let's head on over and see what's going on. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on last time, but right. uh, we don't know a lot about Yehu and what he does as king of Israel. We know that the Phoenician gods are losing all their influence, pretty much. And the Bible really portrays Yehu as a pure Javist, uh, uh, that is, a you, he is a monotheist. Sure. But there are some weird things that happen. There are gold bulls at Bethel and Dan. Mm -hmm. And these are probably icons of worship. So the monotheism is not 100%. Uh, we talked about uh, Jehu being of the house of David, right? Yes. Earlier, yeah. Um, we don't get any news from Damascus, the eternal enemy of Israel, except that Chalmanes III just invaded them. But they recovered from it. I, I believe that Damascus and Israel, surely they fought again. But we don't have any record of it. But they are really arch enemies. And it's, uh, it's uh, troublesome to be arch enemies when there is an even greater threat like the Assyrians. <laughs> you have to be careful when you fight your arch enemy that the Assyrians aren't around. Because then you just leave yourself open. And that's just, that's just bad for business. So I bet 835 was a good year when... Uh, Shalmaneser went east, so they got news. Oh, Shalmaneser going the other way. Okay, let's attack Israel. Now's our chance. Yeah. Uh, we should mention a bit about China. Oh, I haven't talked about China in a while. What's going on over there? There's so much information about uh, the Middle East and so little about China. But we have the Gonghe Regency. It's mm -hmm. ruling China in the name of Prince Zhuan. He's still being educated. He's still a kid. Uh, but they are making sure that he will be a good king once his dad dies. Because King Li, the tyrant, is still the king, but he's in exile. And this regency rules uh, Zhou China. And now I wanted to get into something that I didn't really know where to put. But uh, we, we talked a lot about Shalmaneser III, and we have a lot of his inscriptions. He's uh, quite good at making inscriptions. But when he does his inscriptions, he puts uh, his title at the beginning of every inscription. And his title <laughs> right. is quite long. <laughs> and uh, one, there are, like the Black Obelisk, there are several uh, great things that he left us. But the bronze gates of Balavat are pretty famous. And these gates are full of inscriptions. They must um, look very impressive. I haven't seen them. But I thought that you would read the full title of Shalmaneser III in the way he begins every inscription. Okay. Let me look at this. So these are on actual bronze gates. Yes. Are these more? Are these also at the British Museum? Uh, I don't know where they are, actually. Oh, okay. So if anybody knows, uh, tell us in the comments. Yeah, because if these things really exist, it would be spectacular to see. They do have a lot of history on them as well. So we have uh, one account of the Battle of Karkar is from the Bronze Gates of Balavat. Wow. Huh. So actual history written on a gate. Yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah. Sure. It's the Assyrian way. 
We're just gonna. If you want to come into our city, you're gonna see just how badass we are. <laughs> <laughs> you have to read this title first. Yeah. Okay. Stop. <laughs> read this. Okay. <clears throat> Let me get into some Shalmaneser. Give us your best Shalmaneser. Okay. Let me take a quick drink because sometimes these are hard on the old uh, on the old pipes. Think megalomaniac. Let's see, I am Shalmaneser, the great, the mighty king, king of the universe, king of Assyria, son of Asher, Asherpal, king of the universe, king of Assyria, grandson of Tukulti, Tukulti Urta, king of the universe, king of Assyria, the powerful hero. Who in the four regions of the world gives no quarter? Who conquers rebellion? To whose hand all regions of the earth are entrusted? Who crushes those who do not submit to Asher? The mighty flood, in whose hands Asher has set the ends of the lands. King of the regions of earth, who is covered with splendor, who is fearless in battle, under the yoke of whose dominion Mighty and ruthless kings, as far as the setting sun, have bowed. Shalmaneser, the rightful ruler, priest of Asher, the powerful. One interesting thing to note here is the way he talks about his dad and his granddad. So it's Ashurnasipal, king of Assyria, king of the universe. <laughs> Tukultininurta, king of Assyria, king of the universe. Uh, so the Assyrians are pretty proud of their dads. And uh, just note that for the future, because there will be Assyrian kings who are not talking about their dads. And that's a bad sign, because this is the, the normal Assyrian king attitude to uh, forefathers. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it's hard to believe that they would just kind of start trying to, you know, push that aside. That seems so important. I'm sure Tukulti Ninurta's dad was on this from the start, and then somebody was like, uh, can we cut somebody? <laughs> oh, maybe nobody dares say that to Shalmaneser. So let's yeah. review this empire of this powerful king. Okay. We are in 833 BC now. Uh, they set out in 912 to, be, to restore the Middle Assyrian Empire. And somewhere along the line, they just lost sight of that. And now the empire is much bigger than the Middle Assyrian Empire was. There has been these two super powerful kings, Ashurnasipal <laughs> and Shalmaneser. They have been ruling for 50 years at this point. Uh, mm -hmm. Ashurnasipal got on uh, the job in 883 BC. And uh, Ashurnasipal's eunuch system, he, he put... He made 12 provinces of the empire and he put eunuchs in charge of them. But that system has fallen for some reason. Now there are powerful nobles who control the provinces. And they are starting to try <coughs> to make sure their sons take over the province when they get old. Hmm. Uh, and there are also powerful nobles who have influence in the capital. Um, whereas no noble dare do anything when Ashurnasipal was around. <laughs> uh, the capital is in Kala. This is in the heartland of Assyria, in uh, what is today northern Iraq. And uh, I'd like to introduce a couple of other uh, powerful men 
in the Empire. Sure. But first I'd like to note that this could have been the high watermark for the entire Neo-Assyrian Empire. It's a very good time for the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And this is a state which, uh, there has not been a state like this pretty much. Maybe uh, the Empire of Sargon back in uh, the third millennium BC. <clears throat> This is a super powerful state, and we would still have been talking about it if this was the high watermark, which is it, which it isn't. Okay, first, we have uh, what is possibly the eldest son, but one of the elder sons. The Assyrian king has a lot of sons. This guy is Assur Daninpal, different than from Shalmanis' dad, who was Ashur Nasirpal. But this son is Assur Daninpal, and he's a popular warrior. People like him. And I kind of picture him like a second coming of Ashur Nasirpal II. And he is uh, violent. He is a good Assyrian. <laughs> and he is a bit worried about Dayan Ashur, the field marshal's influence over the king. So he's like, Dad, I should lead the armies instead. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go beat people up. But Chalmanister III, for some reason, does not designate this guy as the heir. So maybe he's like, oh, you're too violent. You won't be a good king. So that if that was the case, he's very, very violent. <laughs> what would it take for these guys to say, whoa, 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 maybe you're going too far? <laughs> there are other cases of that, actually, when people are like, oh, you are going too far. So, But it would probably take a lot. <laughs> so we have a younger son. Shamshi Rahman, he is wiser, is, is quite the, the statesman, he knows how to talk to people, and he's probably ultra-violent as well, but not as violent as his elder brother. But he's not popular with the Assyrian crowd, but he is designated the heir. So Shalmaneser III says, you will be the next king, and that makes him... Uh, uh, soon he will have absolute power, be the king. And the position of the king is almost godlike in Assyria because he's the high priest of Ashur, so he can interpret the one god's true will. Mm -hmm. And he has, he's the ultimate commander of the army, and he decides everything. And the elder son, then, Asur Danimpal, is not happy about this. There's a lot of things Asur Danimpal is not happy about, and that's one thing. <laughs> So we have a little situation brewing in the Assyrian capital. And then something happens in 832 BC. The Assyrians attack Urartu finally. Okay. Like, just like the Urartians uh, expected. But Shalmaneser III is not going with the army. So this... What? <laughs> yeah, this... Uh, did, did this ever happen since the empire started? Probably not that we knew, know of. Right. But Shalmaneser III stays behind and he sends the field marshal, Diane Usher, as the commander of the army. And this is probably <coughs> Shalmaneser III's great mistake, which will uh, do bad things for his legacy. Because he did what his father never did. He grew old and couldn't go on campaign. Wow. Whereas Ashur Nasipal just ran on campaigns until one day he dropped dead. We don't know what happened, but he just, <laughs> there's no sign that Ashur Nasipal II ever uh, felt any feelings. <laughs> <laughs> but here we actually have the words of Shalmanis III. 
Um, you can do that too. Sh should I make him sound feebler in these words, or a, a little feebler? <laughs> I gave orders and sent Diane Asher Tordanu, the wise chief of my army and camp. Uh, and of course, this was a good time to attack Urartu because there was a new king, and there was these construction projects happening, and uh, Diane Asher finds Sarduri and his army near the river Arsanias and claims a victory. But uh, nothing really changes in the situation between the two countries, so that's probably an empty Assyrian inscription victory. Because the Assyrians always win. But this means that Diane Asher is now the most powerful non-king in the history of the Neo-Assyrian Empire that we have met. The field marshal is really important for Assyria now. In 831 BC, King Matan I of Tyre, Phoenicia, back in Lebanon, he mm -hmm. dies. He was probably very, very young at this point, and it was unexpected. He ruled for eight years. Tyre is the main Phoenician power center. And here we have to introduce some characters in Tyre as well, because these people are much more famous than Diane Asher and Asurdanimbal. So the son of Matan I is Pygmalion. And Pygmalion is not as famous as uh, you might think when you hear the name, because the name refers to uh, another character normally, like the play and stuff. It's right, not about right. this guy. But there are still a lot of legends about Pygmalion. So, uh, and it's weird because there are signs that Matan I was very young, but he has two grown children. So, uh, how did that happen? Pygmalion has an elder sister, but we can expect that the sister and Pygmalion are probably extremely young, then, maybe like around 18, 19. Okay. The elder sister is named Dido. Mm -hmm. And Matan's. Uh, I don't know if this is like the Phoenician succession system or something, but it's, or if it was Matan the first will, but these two siblings, Pygmalion and Dido, they are supposed to be the coup rulers. Yeah, it's because uh, Pygmalion is underage, so he, maybe he's only 15. Okay. <clears throat> and uh, so they are supposed to rule together. And that never works out, does it? Not usually. Uh, so Matan had a younger brother as well called Aserbas. He is the high priest of uh, uh, one of the Phoenician gods. And he is super wealthy. And he marries Dido. And I think this is a power play on Dido's part. So if she has Aserbas on her side, then uh, her little brother can't take the throne. Right. So we, we have enough resources. Yep. So it seems that Dido has the upper hand here, uh, being married to her uncle <laughs> with all his wealth. Uh, but the people, they are, they are not uh, into this, being ruled by this uh, woman. So they favor the boy king. And Pygmalion gets some ideas here. He wants to, he wants not only to take rule of Tyre from his sister, but he wants to rule all of Phoenicia, because Tyre is the strongest Phoenician city. So he's making plans to deal with his pesky sister and her ultra-rich husband. And we will dedicate a whole episode to this drama. 
in oh, the next wow. decade. <laughs> so remember, Dido versus Pygmalion it's, with it's, Rich Uncle. That sounds like a play already. It does sound like a play, but this is not what the Pygmalion play is about. Right. <laughs> which I thought when I started researching this. Uh, okay, in 831 BC, somebody decides to rebel against Shalmaneser. It's King Lubarna II of Patin. He has been a loyal vassal, and he is not a rebel. Sorry, <laughs> he is assassinated by the rebel. So a usurper, Suri, claims mm -hmm. the throne of Patin. So Diane Asher once again has to go out to the royal army. He comes to Patin. And when the royal army stands outside the capital, they don't even have time to start the siege. Uh, the capital of Patin is Kumulna. Okay. With the royal army outside and Diane Asher there in all his glory, the frightened inhabitants of the city, they just take their new king and his supporters and they kick them out of the city. Wow, that was quick. <laughs> yeah, so Dianasher just gets his enemies delivered. Uh, but he thinks this is a great triumph. He erects a stele. He takes uh, all. The, it takes a lot of booty. I don't know if he just took the money of the guys who made the rebellion or if he just took everything. <laughs> but he does appoint a new king of Patin. And Patin returns to vassal status. But it, this occupies the royal Assyrian army for, a whole, for the whole year. In the next year, Diane Asher once again goes to the north, and this shows that Urartu is becoming a huge problem. But we don't have a record of this campaign. Uh, we get only the... there is... Um, oh no, I forget the name. There is a record... the, the greatest Assyrian record is the, like one sentence per year, uh, where they talk about one guy who is important for that year, and then they say one thing the king did. And this year, they, we just know that Diane Asher attacks Urartu. So he's not a king, and he's still... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, now there are a lot of problems in Assyria. We have this uh, dissension between the princes. We have this field marshal running around. And it seems that Shalmaneser is slipping into dementia. But he doesn't have the decency of dying. <laughs> so we're going to have a, a very weak old king of Assyria. <clears throat> and uh, it will turn bad for the empire. But that is not what we are going to talk about in the next episode. What Sorry. are we going to talk about? We are doing a special! Yay! Sometimes it's a we special episode. And sometimes we leave the narrative go into something else. And now we're going to talk about the laws, the justice system. And it's incredibly hard to pin down to date. So we're talking about like 1000 BC, but the laws in 830 BC are pretty similar. So we're going to take a look at ancient laws, laws of the early Iron Age in the Middle East, and see what kind of justice system they had. And that's it for this episode. All right. Please, please, please go to the YouTube page, YouTube slash Fan of History. There, subscribe, like, share. Um, let us know what you think. Also, yeah. can I say something about YouTube? Oh, yes, please. 
Yeah, uh, right now I am working on the 720s BC episodes on YouTube. So you can really read ahead on the test. <laughs> and um, I did uh, episodes on the Nubian invasion that finally gives us some order to Egypt. That happens in 725 BC. I am right now working on the Lelantine War, which is an event in Greece. So those are the things you can find very soon on the YouTube channel. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Check them out. Um, also, on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to this, uh, give us a review. We would love to hear from you. So for this week, I am Brennan. And I'm Dan. And this has been The Fan of History. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.